Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. It says, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of, man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. By the Lord, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went, entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. When I read this passage of Scripture, if you're like me, you're going to ask a lot of questions. Some of the questions I ask are, why did God have to blind Saul? Many of you know Saul eventually becomes who? Paul. And Saul was known for persecuting Christians. In fact, he was there to witness and give testament to the fact that Stephen had been stoned and died. But why did God have to blind him? I mean, was there not another way that God could have communicated to him? Why did God choose Ananias? I mean, surely out of all the Christians, why would he choose Ananias? Why did Ananias not put up more of an argument with God? Doesn't it seem like Ananias is almost like this perfect individual that the Lord says, hey, go and talk to this enemy, this one who's been killing Christians, and he says, well, Lord, I, I know that, I know and I've heard stories of this man, um, and he has chief priests behind him that if I go now, he could possibly kill me. And then the Lord answers him and says, no, I've got a plan for this man. And immediately Ananias just gets up and goes. Now, if that had been me and you, we would have come up with every argument we possibly could to stay as far away from somebody who's been persecuting Christians, right? But why did Ananias just up and go? out of nowhere and just leave. And so the ultimate question I ask is, is what made Ananias so brave? Because whether you realize it or not, it took a lot of guts to go from your safe little environment in, in your Christian home to going and laying your hands, literally laying your hands of prayer upon the one who has been persecuting Christians. I mean, just relate that, okay? So that would almost be like a Jew during World War II, okay? 
the Lord calling them and say, hey, I want you to go to Berlin. And while you're in Berlin, I want you to go and lay your hands on a man named Adolf Hitler. Okay? And I want you to pray over him. Adolf Hitler, I've already given Adolf Hitler a, a vision that you are coming. Now, my response would have been, what, Lord? You told Adolf Hitler that I'm coming? That's exactly what happened with Ananias and Saul. This was a brave, brave man who risked his life in order to follow what he believed God was calling him to do and to lay his hands upon this man named Saul. In this passage, we're given a glimpse of this brave man who had characteristics that I'm not so sure I fully understand. And I'm not so sure that all of us understand the characteristics of this brave individual. But there is a lot that we can learn from him. What is it that made him so brave? I think we're given a picture of that when we look at the life of Jesus and when we look at the teachings of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the teachings of Jesus on this brave love, whatever it was that made Ananias so brave to go and love this man named Saul. Jesus spoke about that love in Luke chapter um, 6, verses 27 to 36. But before we get there, I want us to just take a moment and pray, okay? Father, as we look into your word... I pray, God, that you will show us things that we've not seen before. Lord, help us to examine our own lives and whether or not we are truly loving other people the way you have called us to love. Lord, help us to bravely love others the way you have called us to. And Lord, my prayer is, is that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, may they be pleasing unto you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So where does Jesus talk about this brave love? Okay. He talks about it in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. And this is what Jesus says about how we are supposed to love. And when you read this passage of Scripture, you're going to see the parallel of, of um, Ananias and Saul, where he loved his enemy, okay? And so Jesus is saying, hey, this isn't this brave love that Ananias had. Matt, and this is, this is me speaking here. It's like God speaking to me this week. Hey, Matt, um, this brave love that you're so impressed with, with Ananias, that should be the norm for the Christian. In other words, God's saying to me, Matt, that's the way you're supposed to love all the time. And you know what? It's the way we're supposed to love all the time as Christians. What Ananias did should be the norm for Christians, okay? And so listen to this teaching that Jesus says on this. He says, but I say to you that listen. I love how Christ opens that up, okay? I say to you that listen. Because Jesus knows there's obviously some there that are there, but they're not listening, just like right now, right? There's some of you that are here but you're not listening, okay? And you know what? Jesus had the same problem. They were there, but they weren't listening. And so understand this. To listen is to 
Allow it to reach deep inside of you and change who you are. Okay? And so he's not just saying in one ear and out the other. He's saying this should transform you. Okay? So, but I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So here is Jesus unpacking what it means for a Christian to love. Okay? And by the way, if you read this and you are truly listening, you're sitting there thinking, whoa, boy, do I have some work to do in my life. Okay? Let me just right from the get-go challenge you to just shift that mindset just a little bit and not say, boy, do I have some work to do in my life, but why don't, before we even go any further, let's just take a moment and pray, Lord, you have a lot of work to do in my life, not me. Lord, you have a lot of work to do in my life. And so let's just take a moment, just, we're going to just pause for a moment, and, and I want you to pray that, Lord, please do a work in my life this morning. All right, here's what I want you to get from this message today, okay? Brave love, the love that the Gospels teach us, okay? And this is up there on the screen for you to follow, okay? Brave love, that is the love that the Gospels teach us, it cannot be compared or defined by the way broken people love. Instead, brave love must look to God, that is Jesus Christ, for its comparison and definition. And here's what I mean by this, okay? You cannot look at people in the pew and say, hey, I'm loving just as good as Pastor Thomas is. Or I'm loving just as good as Pastor Matt is. Okay? If you do that, you are going to get a wrong comparison of what the Scriptures teach. We have to compare our love to Christ. That is the only comparison that we have, is from Christ. We cannot compare our love to anyone down here on earth like us, okay? We have to compare our love to Christ. And so when we look at Christ, 
and we, and we see that he laid down his life while we were yet sinners because he loved us so much, that should transform the way you see people. So when sinners, such as yourself and such as other people, when sinners do something to you that hurts you, okay, your response is not to retaliate or to react. Your response is to love them in a Christ-like way, which may mean even laying your life down for the person that has done something hateful to you. Now that's countercultural, but that's what Jesus is teaching us, okay? And so let me just share with you a couple of things about the fact of how do we love broken people, okay? First of all, you need to know this. Broken people love in broken ways. Please hear that. Broken people love in broken ways. Before we go any further, I know some of you are sitting back saying, yeah, I know some broken people. And the way they love is some broken ways. But you need to look at yourself because we are all broken, myself included. Romans 3.23, for we are all sinners, right? And we all fall short of the glory of God. So the fact that we are sinners means that we are broken people and we act in broken ways. And so what Jesus is explaining in this whole passage of love is that broken people love in broken ways. So I'm going to break this down for you in three different ways, okay? And then I'm going to unpack it. One, you need to know that when Jesus talks about broken people and how they love in broken ways, these are the three ways he explains this. One, even sinners love those who love them. Okay? Even sinners. How many of you are sinners? All of us, right? Sinners love to love people in broken ways. Number two, even sinners do good to those who do good to them. That's what sinners do. All right? We do good to those who do good to us. And then the third is even sinners lend to other sinners to get something back. Now that's straight out of Scripture. You can read that passage I read to you earlier, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Okay, Broken people, being sinners, love in broken ways. So let me just unpack these three for you briefly. Okay, So number one there, even sinners love those who love them. The broken love of sinners is determined by how they are treated by others. Isn't this so true? If you love me, I am going to love you. Right? But the minute you do something to me, I'm going to hold that against you. Just recently, um, we were down in Gastonia for my grandmother's, um, for my grandmother's funeral. And we were sitting there talking, Laura and I and the girls, we were driving, we drove by one of my, my other grandmother's old house, and we were driving back, and we got talking about one of my family members. And um, this family member has, it was not, it was not my uh, grandmother, but this family member has gone on to be with the Lord as well. But, but this particular family member was known for if you love them, and they would give you the shirt off their back, Okay. But if you cross them, okay, they may never get over that. Y'all know people like that? If you ever cross them, they're going to let you know it. 
and they will never let you live it, live it down. They're going to they're remind you of it every chance they get. Okay? That's broken love. That is loving sinners, loving people because of the way that they love us. Now, Jesus totally counters that and says, no, your love for me does not determine my love for you. Okay? Jesus says that my love for God determines my love for you. Okay? Now, number two there, even sinners do good to those who do good to them. Okay? The broken love of sinners will only produce good toward others who have done good to them. Good example of this. Go to any house in America that has kids, okay? And you will see two siblings fighting, okay? And as they fight, one of them will haul off and probably smack the other one. Lo and behold, here comes the parent. What are you doing? Why are you fighting? And what's the first response normally that is given? They hit me first, right? As if I'm supposed to say, oh, well, I don't blame you. If you get here first, haul off and smack the tar out of them. What good parenting, right? That is not what has taken place at all. Matt and Angela, as your kids get older, be prepared, okay? I mean, this is going to happen, right? They get in arguments, and, and, and we always say, well, they did it first. Now, when you get a little bit older, you may not be smacking each other, right? But you will say, well, they did me wrong with this, so it was okay for me to do this. Or they said this hurtful to me, so I decided I should say something back. Okay? That is not Christian. That is not Christian love. There's nothing Christian in that. Another way that we do this, heard a pastor say this one time okay this particular pastor had a congregation um, member that had gotten upset with the pastor um, and and not really upset but just decided you know what um, they just come a couple of Sundays and then they'd be gone and then they would just come again on a couple of Sundays and then they'd be gone till next year you know those kinds you know they come like on Christmas and Easter and so this particular family was in the hospital, okay? Never will forget this. And the secretary of this pastor says, hey, you need to go visit so-and-so. Talking about that family. And the pastor's response was, why should I go visit them? They only come on Easter and Christmas, right? And to which the secretary responded back to the pastor because you're a minister and you should minister to this family it doesn't matter how often they come when i heard of this story i knew the family and i knew that this pastor wasn't going to go and and I, I totally disagreed with why this pastor didn't go so i packed up my stuff and i went and ministered to that family because they needed to be ministered to, not, by, not because of how often they come to church, but because Christ died for them. Okay? And so, here's my point. We live in a world that says, why should I help them? They've never done anything for me. That right there is, even sinners do good to those who do good to them. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. 
One of the worst places this happens is in the church, folks. If you're good to me in the church, I'll be good to you. That's, many, that's much of the mindset of Christians in the church. This is so ingrained into the fabric of being human that when a person does a good deed for an unexpecting person, they question, why are you doing this? I truly believe that if the church was doing what it was supposed to do, when the church does a good deed, they would say, you're doing this to an, to an unsuspecting person. They'd say, oh, you're doing this for the love of Christ, aren't you? If the church was doing what it was supposed to do. It wouldn't surprise people. When we were in New York City, we handed out water and care packets. And as we handed them out, people said, why are you doing this? What do you want from me? Because they realized that broken people love in bro unbroken ways. Okay? And so here's the problem is that it shocks the world when the world sees the love of Jesus. But folks, it should not shock the world when we are loving, Jesus, loving people the way Jesus loved them. That's our goal. That's our role as Christians. Which brings me to the third thing. Even sinners lend to other sinners to get something back. Okay? I'll give you this, but you make sure you bring it back. Or you make sure I'm getting more money for this than what I got from it. I want to make some money off of this. Okay? And so we are willing to be a kind person and give to people as long as we get something back from it. And folks, Christ is saying, no, 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 no. You don't give to get something in return. You give out of the love of Christ. And so let's break this down. Okay? So I want, you, I want you to see something. Because this is where it becomes very deceptive. And this is, where, this is where Satan is deceiving a lot of people who call themselves Christians. I want you to, first of all, I want you to realize that all of these things represent broken love. And broken love is ineffective. Do you hear me? Broken love is ineffective. You can love all those ways that, you, that, that I just listed and that Jesus spoke about, but you, you need to realize this from the, from the get-go. It is ineffective. It's not going to work. It's not going to transform the world. You're only doing part of the job. And let me see if I can break that down for you. We have a lot of good people that sit in the pews every Sunday all around the world, and this is their statements. I am a Christian because I love people. I am a Christian because I'm good to people. I am a Christian because I give to others. But you know what? That doesn't make you a Christian. And in fact, you're not even halfway there, to be honest. You can do all of those things, but it doesn't mean that you're a Christian. In fact, you can call yourself a Christian and do these things, and it still doesn't mean that you're a Christian. In fact, you could be deceived into thinking that you're a Christian because you do these things. Let me see if I can help you understand. Because this is extremely dangerous. It includes loving people, loving others, giving to others, and doing good. Yes. But it stops halfway. You love people. Stop only if they love you back. You are good to people, stop, only if they're good to you. 
You give to others only if they're going to give back to you. You know what? That's called half Christianity. You're loving, but not to the full extent of what Christ calls you to love. And I would go as far as to say, and I would argue this, that if you're the person who loves people only because they love you, or you are good to people only because they are good to you, or you give people because of what they'll give you back, hear me in this, you're not a Christian. You're not. Scripture plainly teaches that if you are only doing part of this, not all of this, don't call yourself a Christian because even sinners do that. You hear that? And that's what Jesus said over and over and over. Even sinners do these things. So if you're loving people because they love you, woe is you. If you are good to people only because they're good to you, woe is you. If you are lending and giving to people so you could get something back, woe is you. Do you hear me? That is not Christianity. That is a deceptive Christianity. It is not the Christianity that the Scriptures teach us. Jesus teaches us that if you're going to love somebody, you love them no matter what. If you're going to be good to them, you're good to them no matter what they do to you. If you're going to give to somebody, you give to them whether they can give it back or not. That is taking it to the full extent. That is, be, that is full love. That is brave love. We cannot afford, church, to fall into the deceptive ways of thinking that Christianity is doing what sinners do already. Do you hear me in this? This is killing the church. It's killing the church when Christians say, oh, I'm doing, I, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, and I do what sinners do. No, you are a child of God. Let Christ live through you. Let him live through you. Love the way Christ loved. Don't love the way sinners love. Love the way Christ loved. Don't give any of this half-Christian stuff. Let me, let me explain to you why this is so ineffective. Okay? Ex excuse me for these, some of these um, illustrations, but I think they get the point across. Anytime you do something halfway, you get this, right? It's ineffective. So for example, if you stop taking birth control in the middle of the month, the birth control becomes what? Ineffective. If you stop taking antibiotics halfway through the run, the chances are that you may not kill all of the bacteria. My favorite is this one. Just this past, about three weeks ago, Thomas and I were in McKay's bookstore, and we can, I saw this book, and it caught my eye. Or actually, I think Thomas saw the book. It caught my eye, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to buy that book. We're driving home, and Thomas is reading the back of the book about the author, because we've never heard of the author, but the title sounded so interesting. And so Thomas starts reading the back of the book, and I'm just driving, not even realizing he's reading it, and all of a sudden, he just burst out laughing. And I said, what are you laughing about? He said, listen to this guy's resume on the back of this book, okay? And it goes something like this. And I'm not going to mention his name or where he went to school. But it says this. Mr. So-and-so did his undergraduate studies at, and you can name the school. He also took a couple of classes at the graduate school of blank. That was his, that was his resume, 
he also took a couple of graduate classes. Now, I just, when Thomas read this to me, it just called us as funny. Because here's a guy that's selling a book that's basically saying, hey, I took a couple of classes in graduate school. I'm an expert in this. But he has no degree to back it up. Listen, just because you took a couple of classes doesn't mean you're an expert in this whatsoever at all. Okay? The same is true for me. I haven't finished my doctorate, right? I'm working on my PhD, but if I stop now, should I go around and say, yeah, just call me Dr. Matt? No! I don't have the degree to back it up! (laughs) Meet me at the altar after church. You get the point, right? When you do something halfway, it is ineffective. And so church, hear me in this. When Christians love halfway, it is ineffective. In fact, I'll go as far as saying this. You actually hurt the cause of Christ more than helping the cause of Christ because you give non-Christians ammo to use against the church. Oh yeah, I know, I know a Christian but they only do stuff for the people who do good to them. Well, what does that do? Who wants to be a part of that? It hurts the cause of Christ more than helping the cause of Christ. So let me me unpack this brave love for you. Because that all that I just shared with you, all of that is broken love. Okay, Because we are sinners. But here's the good news of the gospel. As Christians, we don't have to live in that realm of broken love anymore. Christ wants to transform us and help us to love bravely. Very much like Ananias. Okay? And so, understand this. The love that Jesus is calling to is to love our enemies. To give and to lend without expecting anything in return. We must stop looking to love others, and look to love Jesus. This is brave love. Listen to what Fred Craddock, Fred Craddock's a very well-known scholar and, and preacher, and he writes this. He says, Rather than a person hating in response to hatred and loving in response to love, Christian behavior and relationships are prompted by the God we worship who does not react but acts in love and grace toward all. I love that. That we don't react, but we act out of love and grace for all. In other words, whatever you do to me, or whatever other people do to you, it's not going to affect how you react to them. You've already chosen to love them, whether they're good to you or not. And you're going to live in that mindset. I'm not going to react to the way they're responding, but I have chosen to act in love no matter what they do. He goes on and says that we learn from God who does not reciprocate, but who is kind even to the ungrateful and the selfish. And this is what I've learned, because I've wrestled with this for a long time. And I have learned that we as a church and as Christians have to come to the conclusion that nobody owes us anything. Therefore, we shouldn't have to respond and react to the way they treat us because nobody owes us anything. We are Christians. 
We are children of God. We have already made up our mind how we are going to treat people because nobody owes us anything. So it's from the teachings of Christ that we learn that broken love stops halfway, but brave love goes the extra mile. Now follow what Jesus said in that passage. Okay? Follow me. Broken love stops halfway. You've gotten that far, right? But brave love goes the extra mile. Listen to how Jesus unpacks this. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. You go the extra mile. If someone takes your coat, give them what? Your shirt also. Go the extra mile. You don't stop halfway. You go the extra mile. If anyone takes away your goods, do not ask them for it again. You go the extra mile. And so, here's the point. Jesus did not die on the cross and give us the Holy Spirit so that we could continue to love others the way sinners love people. Christ gave us the Holy Spirit, the power to go the extra mile, not on our own, but because the Holy Spirit is living in us and through us. Do you hear me, church? He, it is the Holy Spirit in us that helps us to love the unlovable and the ungrateful. The Scriptures teach us that this love that the Holy Spirit builds up within us is how people will know that we are children of God. It's what separates us from everybody else. Listen to John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. If you don't have this verse highlighted in your Bible, please do so. Again, it's John 13, verse 34 and 35. Listen to what Jesus says. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How is the world supposed to know that you are a disciple of Christ? Not by loving the way sinners love, but by loving the way God calls us to love. To love one another. To go the extra mile. And so Jesus' message is clear. You are not a disciple of Jesus if you can't love one another. Don't call yourself a disciple of Jesus if you can't love one another. Because disciples of Jesus love others and go the extra mile to show that love, no matter what it costs. So what's the secret? Some of you here this morning are already building up all of these excuses in your mind. Yeah, Pastor Matt, I hear you. And I hear what Jesus is saying, but you don't know my family. You don't know my co-workers. You don't know the abuse that I've gone through in my past. You don't know these things. And you know what? You're right, I don't. But God Almighty does. He knows what you've gone through, and He still calls you to do it. If you've been abused, okay, God knows that. And God can help you love that person and to overcome the bondage that is holding you in. So yeah, I don't know. And so I know some of you are sitting here today saying, okay, Matt, let's say I buy into what you're saying. What's the secret? 
How do I do this? What's the secret? Here's the secret. And I would challenge you to pray this and to do this. Brave Christianity, brave love, brave Christian love, is not a reaction response. Instead, it is the Spirit of God living through you. It is basically, this is the secret, saying, Holy Spirit, come and live in me so that I do not react, but I allow you to act through me. Do you hear me, church? That is the secret to it all, is surrendering all of it over to God and saying, I will not react to the way people do me. I will simply surrender everything and let God act through me. That's the secret. So how are you doing on that? Are you a reactionary person? Or are you a person who has surrendered everything over to God and said, God, just act through me? If you want to learn to love bravely, surrender it to God. Whatever it is you're going through. I'm going to ask Pastor Thomas to come up. As they play one final song, I want to give you a chance to surrender whatever it is that may be keeping you from loving God and loving others in the brave love that we've talked about this morning. I want to give you that chance to say, hey God, I realize that I've been a reaction person and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to say, God, live through me, act through me, Lord. Help me to make that decision now so that when times come that's going to test and tempt me, I'm reminded of this moment when I surrendered it to Christ and I said, no longer will I live and base my emotions off of my reaction to people's responses. I am surrendering it totally to God and therefore I have already chosen how I'm going to respond in the situations to come. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you and pray and as we open up the altar, Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you. Lord, you already know how we are. Lord, we need to come and ask forgiveness for, for loving halfway. We need to, Lord, we also need to come and ask for forgiveness for reacting in ways that we shouldn't. And Lord, we need to surrender these things to you and make the decision that from now on we will let you act through us. And so Father, as we pray to you, we ask that you hear our prayers and transform who we are in the name of Christ.